Ephesians 4 and verse 1, as we pick back up where we left off back end of November in the book of Ephesians. Uh, Getting back in there, this will be our 13th week in Ephesians. As we are halfway, there's six chapters, we made it through three, we're to four. Um, I don't know if the back half's going to be shorter or longer, but I know it's going to be good. Amen. I want to read there and then uh, pray over us as we receive the word today. Ephesians 4 and verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were all called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive and active and always there for us to encourage us and build us up. It's not just words on a page, Lord, but it is life and health to all of our life, our body, even our flesh. I thank you that you would open our eyes to the wonders of it today. Holy Spirit, that you would translate to each heart as we have need. God, I thank you over and over. I hear reports where you've taken just one thing and and made it alive in someone's heart for that week, for that moment in time, exactly what they needed. And I thank you a word in season, how good it is. And only you can do that. God, I I cannot do that on my own. I, I need your help today as we always do. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we started last week with the question. The question was, why are you a Christian? Why do you follow Jesus? And that's something that you need to think on from time to time. And and the the, the best answer that, that I can give is that I wasn't okay without him. That my life was lost, I was lost without him. And then I, I learned and saw that I could be found in him. So why am I a Christian? Because I, I can't not be. Because I wasn't okay without him. And then the question for this week kind of moves uh, in, in the next logical step from that. What does a Christian do? What does a Christian do. You know, we get caught up in all the things Christians don't do. Right? That's what a lot of people want to ask is, well, can we do this or not? Well, can a Christian do this or not? Well, is it a sin if a Christian does this or not? And we, we want to focus on the things that we don't do. Known by the don'ts, when Scripture leans a lot more towards, we're going to be known by the things that we do. So what is it that a Christian does because there's a there's a difference. Jesus said in John three, you must be what born again, born again, or you won't see the kingdom. That sounds like a pretty big change. Paul said in Romans six that we are raised with Christ to walk in what newness of life. That there's a new life that we walk in 
in Christ. Scripture doesn't leave room for me to call on the name of the Lord and stay the same way that I was. It just doesn't leave room for that. And you'll see Paul urging us today that a changed people are called to a new life in Christ. Now, the letter to Ephesians, like I said, we've separated it out into six chapters to make it easier to find our way through it. Six chapters, and we've already been through one, two, and three. And the first three are like walking on the mountaintops of Revelation. I mean, it is a big, grand vision of of who Christ is and what he's done. Let, Let me give you a sample of it. Let me give you a sample of it. If you look back in chapter one and verse three, blessed is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. For himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Look in chapter two, verse one. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts and were by nature children of wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, Because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Amen. You get this grand view of Christ victorious, God almighty, both now and for all eternity. And it declares our place in him and the grace and the unmerited favor that we receive in him to stand in that spot, to receive that new life, to be born again, like Jesus said, to walk in newness of life, like Paul talked about in Romans. And that's the first three chapters. And then you kind of see it hinge right here. There's a there's a difference in focus from the first three chapters to the final three 
chapters, Paul will begin to move from this mind stretching theology down to its everyday implications on our life, on our day to day living. So, so the first three chapters are look at Christ, Christian, and all that you are in him. Look on that. And then the second second half of the letter is now with all that insight, having laid eyes on all that, let's walk this out. Let's show what this looks like down here on the ground on a Tuesday afternoon. Let's see what it's going to look like. In this transition, because that's a big transition, we want to walk carefully. Because it's in that 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 people have been prone to get something very important backwards. And when you get it backwards, people get worn out and even worse, they can get hurt. So what is it that we could get wrong? What is it that we could get backwards right here? What we can get backwards is the thought that our everyday conduct and character, the everyday conduct and character of a Christian is what holds up and sustains the work of Christ. Or that if you fail in what he talks about in chapters four, five and six, then you have lost what you read about in chapters one, two and three. That's what we can get wrong. When we think that the burden is on me to sustain this relationship between me and him. That's the wrong way to view it. The right way to view it is that what we read about in chapters one, two and three sustains and supports what we're going to read about in four, five and six. That that's what carries us forward and makes it. Possible. It's the only thing that makes sense. Believer, your salvation in Christ is not fragile. Aren't you glad for that? If it was, you'd have probably broke it today. But what you read about in chapters 1, 2, and 3 supports what you're going to be asked and urged to do in 4, 5, and 6, and not the other way around. Your salvation in him, what we read about in one, two and three is powerful enough to transform you so that you can walk through four, five and six. And the differences in those two mindsets is gigantic. So when we read chapter four and verse one, what we don't need to hear is by your Christian character and conduct, you must preserve and sustain your relationship with Christ Jesus. That's what we don't mean to hear. Instead, brothers and sisters, what we want to hear when we read these urgings from the Apostle Paul is that you have been graciously and through no merit of your own. Remember, we just saw that in chapter two. Graciously and through no merit of your own, you have been brought into this new life. And then in from that position, he's saying, I urge you to walk in everything that Christ has already purchased for you. To walk in the fullness of the newness. Amen. The power of God that saved you, saved your life, is developing in you a new way of life, new relationships, new hopes, a new society, a new community in which and over which God is king of all. So again... The wrong way to see it 
is I am because I do. That's the wrong way to see it, right? Because that means the first part is contingent on the second part. That I am because I do. The right way to see it is I, I am so I do. Because I already am, this is the way that I walk. This is what I do. And I've spent almost half my time trying to make sure we don't see it the wrong way because it's just that important. Because there's something about it in us, even, even Luke. Luke has started to talk about being a Christian and what that means. And when we came home from being gone, we were saying his prayers. I was saying his prayers with him one night and he said, Daddy, I think I need to say the salvation prayer again. And I said, why do you want to say, why do you need to say it again? He said, well, daddy, sometimes people mess up. Right. And so I'm, I'm, I'm seeing just in his mind, he's like, I've already lost it. I've already missed. I need to do, I, I need to get, and, and, and we see that we're not going to go through the whole thing. But I, I said, no, baby, you are already this. You didn't stop being a Christian. What you want to do is just go back to God and say, I'm sorry I didn't do what I should have done today. Help me to be that tomorrow. Help me to see it more clearly tomorrow. But I said, he loves you just as much today as he did yesterday. And I want us to see that because, again, if we if we start building on the wrong foundation, it doesn't go off right. It doesn't go off right, but it is that important that his work holds up our conduct. Our conduct cannot hold up his work. Amen. So when we read this where Paul says in chapter four and verse one, he says, I The prisoner of the Lord. Now, we've talked about this before. He is a prisoner where? In Rome. He he is under Roman guard, but he sees it as I'm here for him. They may think I'm their prisoner, but really, if he didn't want me here, I wouldn't be here. I'm here because he said, this is where I need to be. He said, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you. I urge you. Now, in the first three chapters, he has taught them. He has prayed for them to see. And now he's appealing to them to walk in their new life in Christ so that they can continue to be trophies of God's grace in the world. So that people can see God's goodness in their attitudes and in their actions. And he says, I am urging you. To live worthy of the calling you have received. Urging you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. He said, I'm urging you to walk worthy of the calling. That tells me that we cannot do that, right? We could choose to not do that. But this is his urging because it makes all the difference in our interactions and in our relationships and what God is building in the world through the power of the gospel lived out in the lives of men and women. And he gives us some things that are distinctly Christian attributes. 
So, so when we ask the question, what does a Christian do or what does living as a Christian do in us? What, what changes occur in us? Some of these are the things that happen in us. And he says humility, gentleness, which yours may say meekness, patience and bearing with one another in love. And we're going to take a look at these. We're going to take a look at these because he's writing it to them, but we're reading it to us too, right? If they were urged to walk in these things, we also are being urged to walk in these things. Let's see what kind of difference it might make. Let's look at the first one. Humility. I urge you to live worthy of the calling you ever see with all humility. Now we're familiar with this word to a point, right? I was surprised to learn that the Greeks had an had an adjective for humility, but it wasn't considered a virtue. It was considered a slight. It wasn't something that you wanted to be called. It had a negative context, the word that they used. Now, that's not the word that's used here, but the word that they used that was closest to humility had a negative context. The one we see here translated humility is actually a word that the Christian faith coined. They had to write a new word for what Christian humility was. And then you see it all over the New Testament. The, the, again, the former Greek term that had that negative connotation, it meant things like slavish or of, of no repute. Even kids cringe or cringy. I was like, is that right? Did I read that right? I think I read it right. Cringe like mm. just a negative context to it. That was the word that they used that was closest to humility. But a new term was born to describe what was meant by Christian humility. Isn't it just like Jesus? Isn't it just like the gospel to take a negative and turn it into a positive? Even the word itself was changed and remade because this was something new and distinct. That a new word had to be used because of course it, it, it did. Because this is new in Christ. He doesn't just transform us, but but will even change the language to describe our new attributes. It wasn't the only new word they had to come up with just in this little passage right here. And I thought that was impressive. Christian humility. This is one thing I read in study of this comes from setting life beside the life of Christ and in the light of the demands of God. Setting our life next to Him and seeing how small we are. Not inconsequential. We talked about we're made in the image of God, but in the light of all that He is, we are absolutely the lesser in service of the greater. Christian humility comes into our hearts when we see how small we are in the light of all that he is. And at the same time, seeing how much the bigger one loves us, how much he cares for us. And we see other passages where Paul would say, don't think of yourselves more highly what than you ought to. 
Have a right view of yourself. You don't have to have a low, beat down, garbage view of yourself, but you don't want to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. We don't want to be proud because Scripture also says that God resists the proud or holds at arm's length the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And Paul is soon going to recommend or commend to them unity. And humility is essential for unity because pride will kill unity. Your ability to walk together in agreement with someone else, pride will kill that because pride says, I'm the most important one. My needs are the most important. I'm going to be served above all else. And that doesn't go well with any other human person. Pride destroys the opportunity for unity and humility is integral in unity. Pride lurks behind all disunity and is the enemy of God's new society. That's why God said he resists the proud because they think they can do it on their own. But he gives grace to the humble, the one who says, I can only do this with you. So I urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility. And the second one is gentleness. And again, yours may be translated meekness. Gentleness or meekness. And many think that those words mean weakness. Gentleness and meekness. Some some men think that because Christians are called to be meek, that means they're called to be weak. I don't want to be weak. I'm going to stay away. Some women think Christian meekness, that means weakness. I don't want to be weak. I'm going to stay away. But to give a better idea of what this word meant, it helps to know that it was also used for domesticated Animals. So think about a wild horse, right? There's not much, there's not much scarier because that's a big animal with a lot of strength, a lot of power, just doing whatever it wants to do. But then you take one that was out there wild and kicking and bucking and, and running wherever he wanted to run and however fast he wanted to get there. And with no regard for what's in its way, you take that wild animal and then you domesticate it. You train it. You teach it. One of the words is to, you tame it, right? You tame this animal. Now it's still just as strong as it was when it was wild. It's still just as powerful as it was when it was wild. But now it's controlled and able to be directed. Right. Able to be directed. There are large portions of society that think that the answer to the problem of a man is to make him weak. You've seen this. 
We got to take the man and make him weak. Why? Because a strong man is what? Dangerous. A strong man is dangerous. We have to make him weak. But don't look at a Christian man or a Christian woman and think that they are weak. I've never met anybody stronger. I've never met anybody stronger than a faithful Christian man or woman. They're the strongest people that you will meet. Like a domesticated bull in the pasture. They have the same power that they had. The same passions that they had. The same instincts that they had. It's still there. But now it's controlled. Now it's able to be directed. And for the Christian, it's under control of the kingdom and now useful for the kingdom. Meekness does not mean weakness. It doesn't mean someone never gets angry. It means they never get angry at the wrong time. They always get angry at the right time. Meekness, gentleness is that power, those passions under divine control and direction. Think about Jesus. Is there any better example? I was reading in Matthew just before church when he was uh, betrayed by Judas. And they were arresting him and said, you know, one of the disciples took his sword out, cut off an ear. And Jesus is like, stop it. He's like, don't you know that if I wanted to, I could call down, I could call my father and have him send 12 legions of angels. He said, if this was about fighting, the fight would be over. That's not what this part is about. Extreme, 12 legions of angels? Extreme power and authority under very impressive control. And who are we called to be like? Be imitators of Christ. See, but we we look at people in the world and we see power and strength out in the world and we think, I need to be like them. And they can't control themselves to save their life. He saved us so that we could control ourselves, resulting in newness of life. Again, don't don't think that meekness and gentleness means weakness. I have the same strength I always had. I have the same attributes that I always had. The the passions are still there. The instincts are still there. But now they're not out of control. Now they're not just loose to chaos and whatever my emotions may strike. Now they are under not just self-control, but God control. Kingdom direction. Again, don't, don't go poking that bull in the pasture thinking he's just weak now. Because he's domesticated. He's useful for the king. And this is an attribute that Paul commends to us. This strong nature and personality redeemed and mastered 
by God Almighty. So now it can be used to serve others instead of chaos and destruction. Don't you find it funny that people will boast and brag about how, don't mess with me, I'll lose my mind. That is not something to brag about. You don't know me, I'm very out of control. Well, gosh, why don't you just tell everybody the truth? Right? How in the world? Like, oh, they don't want. No, no. Power and ability under control. The meek and the gentle have a weapon. They just know they're probably never going to need to use it. And I don't mean like a sidearm. I mean what we can be as a person. How combustible we can be like, oh, I could I could blow up. But why would I want to do that? Because I've seen even in Scripture, it says Uh, The the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. It won't bring it about. So why do I want to do that? I can instead be in control under his control and I can be useful to so many more people. Meekness, gentleness, we should strive for it. Then he says another big one. Patience. Specifically patience with others. Some of the phrases that I found, and I'm going to dig on patience a minute. We all know what it means, but I was like, Lord, just a few things. One of them was long suffering towards aggravating people. You ever worked in the public? Long suffering towards aggravating people or, or, or a spirit who can suffer insult and injury without retaliation. You see why he had to put this one after meekness? We got to get that one on first before we can put on this part of the wardrobe. A spirit who can suffer insult and injury without retaliation. This is a better one. Without bitterness. See, because sometimes we won't retaliate, but we let it turn into bitterness in our heart. Without retaliation, bitterness, or complaint. And who can suffer unpleasant people with graciousness. And hold on to this one. Fools without irritation. Lord help us. That's got to be divine, right? But again, who, who are we supposed to be like? Him. And how good is he at this with us? He has suffered many of us when we were foolish. When we were aggravating. When we were... <laughs> What did it say? Unpleasant. Unpleasant. He has given us graciousness. Look how patient he is with us. And we're his children. We're supposed to grow into his image, taking on his attributes. And we know that patience is a fruit of the spirit. It's not a fruit of the Stephen. I don't grow it just on my own. Without him, I can do nothing. But as I walk with the spirit and so do the spirit, as we read last week, Patience can begin to grow and develop because I can see myself more clearly. I can see them more clearly and I'm not a slave to the moment or the situation. And I can see a lot of that's just the brokenness on the inside of them breaking out against everybody. That's what most of the problems result from is just brokenness bursting out. And he's the only one that can heal that and he don't heal it by me thumping their head. Patience. Number four. I'm not going to make you go through many more of these. I know you're like, golly. 
bearing with one another in love. I urge you to live worthy of the calling that you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Loving one another will have to tolerate a lot of things as we grow together. Especially, especially and even amongst the body of Christ. Love, bearing with one another in love, is seeking the welfare of others and the community and the body of Christ over myself. Or, as, or seeing that as the best welfare for myself is to seek the good of others. Christian love is not an emotional thing. If, if it was, we'd be sunk, right? I mean, what love is an emotional thing? If, if Kelly was only, only considered herself my wife when she emotionally was like okay with me, she would not consider herself my wife on a lot of days. If it was just an emotional thing, I feel like loving Stephen today because I can be hard to love. She's nodding her head. And you can be too. And so can everybody. And that's why it can't be. Your emotions are tied to it, but you can't base it on your emotions. Otherwise, it would just be sunk. If you only love other people when you feel like it, or you only love other people when your emotions are lined up right, you're going to be sunk. It's an act of your will. From the inside, you're saying, this is what I'm going to do. I have assigned you value as another image of God here in the world. And you are one of the ones he has given to me to walk closely with. This is what I'm going to do in service and love to you. It's an act of the will. And this is another word that they had to just... I don't want to say it was it was created just for this, but it was transformed by this. This love is agape love. And, you know, in in the Greek, there's different terms for love. You've got the eros, which is like the romantic love and the phileo, which is your your, your friendships with people. These other ones, different terms for love. But then agape love is that unconditional love. Or unconquerable affection for another. Unconquerable benevolence in the lives of other people. That means it it doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter what the injury was. This love, it's the God kind of love. It's what we enjoy in him. It's unconquerable benevolence towards us. And and we're being urged to walk in the same. Agape love lays aside opportunities for revenge. It lays aside bitterness. Because see, we can get hurt and not react, not respond, but we we still harbor through unforgiveness that, well, the time's going to come. I'm just waiting. And y'all know what I mean, right? Where you're not acting out on it. It's not actively you're working against that person, but you're like, you're just waiting either for your chance to have leverage over them and then harm or hurt them or for something else bad to happen to them. So you can go. Mm-hmm. And scripture tells us that's like poison in our veins. And we've got to set that aside to not walk in unforgiveness, but to walk in forgiveness 
in this life. It lays aside bitterness and desires for revenge and seeks the good of all. And again, these are distinctly Christian attributes. This is going to flow from our relationship with Him. That's the only place it can come from. But here's here's what you need to to notice as as we begin to wrap up. He says in verse 3, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We've got to try at this. It requires effort. It's not going to just come naturally. That's why we need to be urged to live in it and encouraged to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And that word peace there means our relationship is as it ought to be. Right relationship with God leads me into right or good or healthy relationships with others. That, that true peace is what brings about gospel community. And that's what draws people in to be a part. That's why Jesus said people will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven because they're going to know this is uniquely and distinctly different from anything else I've ever been a part of. Humility, gentleness, patience, Bearing with one another in love. All of those things moves self out of the center and puts Christ in the center of all things, which is where he rightly belongs. Because as we know, in the society where self is the center, all suffer. Even if it's a household. If you make it all about you and your house, people are going to suffer because of that. And you, you know that anytime somebody does that, anytime they make themselves the center of everything, when, they are, when you're utmost in your own affections, you're going to be miserable and you're going to make the people around you miserable. Because that's what self and selfishness does. And that's why he's urging us to walk in the newness of life. That though it may be contrary to our old nature, that it is the way to true and lasting Life and peace. Because when self dies and Christ quickens our hearts, then peace, then unity. This is the power of the gospel. It transforms people individually, then it transforms relationships. So we get things right vertically between us and God, and then things begin to change horizontally and out from there Everything that we touch, it transforms people, it transforms families, it transforms communities. And ultimately, this is the plan for the world. And you've seen that happen. You've seen that happen in societies that have held up the word of God and life in Christ as this is the ultimate and highest truth. And you've seen them flourish and be blessed. And you've seen what happens when they forsake it. You've seen how amazingly quick things deteriorate into destruction and corruption. Paul knows this. He knows where they live. He knows what Ephesus is like. He's been there. There's a lot going on. Mighty moves of God. Also a whole lot of carnality and paganism. There's a lot going on. He said, you're going to need these 
things. Again, on our own, we have zero. We can't walk in any of this. If you're getting a report card just based on what you can do on this, F, 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 you're bad at it. It has to come through your new life with Him. And again, in Him, look at all that can be ours. Look at the fullness of what we can walk in. But remember what Paul had to say. He said, I urge you. It means you cannot, right? He's like, I'm letting you know. You, you could not do this, but I'm urging you to do it. Why? Because he he's seen the difference that it makes in men and women, in families, in communities. He's seen it change whole portions of the world. That's how powerful the gospel is. So this week, as we wrap up, let this be part of our prayer. This is very short. Again, it's, and it's easy to find. Ephesians 4, 1, 2, and 3. Lord, help me to live worthy today of the calling that I've received. Thank you for the calling I've received in Christ. Help me to live worthy today of the calling that I've received in humility, not thinking more highly of myself than I ought to, in meekness, not weakness, but I'm power under control. You've given me all of this power. Help me designated and directed in a way that's going to be helpful and healthy in my relationships today. Patience. I know I'm going to need to walk in patience today. There's going to be people and situations that irritate me. There's going to be things that aggravate me. I'm going to need to be long suffering in these situations and I can't do that without you. Help me to be sensitive to when I'm not. Let it be like a fire alarm going off in my heart to go, well, hold on, hold on. I need to, st- I need to step away from this for just a second. I need to get my mind right around this thing because I'm not walking in patience right now. I'm walking in selfishness and I need, to, I, I need you to help me there. Again, you can't do any of this. If you go out of here and try to do any of this on your own, you'll be done before you get out of the parking lot just trying to figure out where you want to go eat, even if it's just you in there. You can't do any of this. That's why we go to him. Because in him, we can do all of it. Patience. Lord, Lord, help me bear with one another. All my one another's. My one another's in my household. My one another's in the body of Christ. Help me bear with them in love. Your kind of love. That even their poor conduct can't conquer. Even their selfishness can't conquer. Even their issues can't conquer the love that flows from you into me and out. And that you would help me to make effort. Again, this is a little bit of work. We shouldn't run away from it just because it's a little bit of work because it's worthwhile. Make every effort. That's putting your muscles involved. Effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. They're able to walk together in unity because we're walking in Humility and meekness and patience and bearing with one another in love. There is no better opening for evangelism than these things. That's why Paul's advocating them. Because people are going to notice. This is the, you, you know, the cliche thing about, oh, there's something different about you. This makes you so different from what you encounter in the world. And people will go, I saw them yelling at you and like it, 
you didn't blow up. What's wrong with you? I saw them be ugly. They took credit for what you did and you just kind of stepped step back and you were just smiling. Like, why, weren't, why, why didn't you? Why are you that way? Like, I know you disagree with the way I live my life because I know you're a Christian, but yet you, you help me. You're kind to me. You're loving to me. And it, it's a dissonance that they can't reconcile. And then they're going to ask. And then there's the door. Think about it the other way. If we're not walking in humility and meekness and patience and bearing with one another in love, is anybody going to care what we have to say? Is anybody going to listen when you go, but let me tell you about Jesus. They're going to go, why? Because you're no different from me and you just got a list of stuff to do. I'd rather go to the lake. Do you see the difference? In your life, do you see what difference it would make? How ready you'd be listened to, how ready you would be to listen to person A and how quick you would be to just go, I don't know what you're talking about. It can open the door. The most important door of somebody's life or it can close it. And that's why he's urging us. And that's why he's telling us to make every effort. Again, your conduct, don't, don't, don't be like the little one who's like, God, now I messed up and now you're mad at me. No, your conduct, you walking these things out doesn't hold up chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 holds up your conduct. And so we have a source of power unlike any the world has ever seen. And he's there for us in the everyday, in the personal, in the moments by ourselves. And He is all of these things with us. He is gentle and lowly in heart. He is great power under heavenly control. And He bears with us in love and seeks the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You that as we read these and we see the weight and the gravity of them, that You're not asking us to carry them. You're asking us to walk in what you've already carried. I thank you that you make possible what would otherwise be impossible. That's just who you are. You will make that way to bring about what you have commanded us to do. And God, I thank you that we won't be overwhelmed by it. We won't grow weary in the well-doing of it. But we will see by faith what you're actually doing behind the scenes, below the surface, in the day-to-day that you will begin to reveal to us the value so that we can see it and be encouraged by it and walk rightly in it. Lord, that we are humbled by your goodness and your grace towards us. And I thank you that you have given us through the power of your Holy Spirit that indwells us the ability to control all that is this and to walk in a way that shows strength and peace and a benefit to others. That we're just as strong as we ever were when we were out there sinning, but you have taken all of that energy and you've turned it to rightness and righteousness in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you that because of that, because we've seen your grace exercised towards us, we'll walk in that towards others and we'll be able to be patient. And we'll be able to bear with one another in love. As we grow, Lord, we're going to have to put up with so many things with one another. And I thank you that you help us to do it. 
through peace and forgiveness, grace, Lord, that we won't grow uh, bitter holding stuff in our heart, but we'll give it right back to you and go, Lord, you, only you can do something with this. It doesn't belong in my hands here. You, you, you take it and do with it as you will. You're, you are the one who avenges. If vengeance needs to be done, that belongs to you. I don't, need, I, I don't need any of it touching me. And Father, we thank you so much for the mighty and powerful work that you did in our lives, in our salvation, when we called upon the name of the Lord and were saved, when we believed in our heart and confessed with our mouth, Lord, something amazing happened. And you hold that up. And Lord, it's in that that we walk in this newness of life. Everything, it's a conduit for everything else that we ever see good. I think that it comes from you and you sustain it. It's not on us, but that we get to walk in the fullness of what Christ has purchased. And I think as we leave today that we do go in unity together with one another. Lord, I pray over those that are out from us that are weak in their body that you would strengthen them. Heal them in Jesus' name. We continue to join our faith together over Brother Perry Garcia. I thank you, Lord, that, that, that you've, you've shown progress, but Lord, he needs a miracle in his life. And those can only come from you. And we ask you in faith that, that you spare him and restore him so that he's back here with us doing the good works that we've seen him do before. And, and we trust you with him. We know that you're big enough to hold him and his whole family. We pray for them as they're there in support. Lord, I know that their minds are tired. Their bodies are tired. I thank you that you give them strength that is unusual and supernatural. I thank you that you give the doctors and the nurses wisdom. Lord, I don't care if they're far from you or not. You're able to work through anything and anybody to benefit your children. And I thank you that you do that on his behalf in Jesus name. Lord, those that are out from us traveling, keep them safe. And bring them safely home to us. And Lord, I, I pray that you bless us and keep us. Make your face to shine upon us and give us peace. In Jesus' name, amen.